Thank you for uh, taking a moment with us. I encourage you to take some time tomorrow to reflect, maybe read about some recent stories of lives lost. Hey, babe. <laughs> um, so <laughs> today, open up your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, if you have a Bible app, if you're watching online and you have access to a, a Bible, and hopefully you do. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have a hardback Bible, we do have some extras that we can get in your hands. We have them here. We will love to put them in, in your hands. Um, but open them up to Matthew 26, if you have them. We're taking a break from the book of Exodus, that, that uh, uh, study we've been doing. Last week we took a break, this week we're taking a break, and next week we're taking one more break. Pastor Rigo will be preaching next week, and then we're going to be jumping back into Exodus the week after, after that. So today, uh, doing something special, it's my 11th anniversary, and so is it's Justice too. Uh, we share the same anniversary date. <laughs> um, yeah. Coincidence. Um, we've been married 11 years today, and uh, I can honestly say it, it's, it's gotten better and better. I can honestly say that. I'm not just saying that because it's our anniversary and I don't want to get in trouble on our anniversary. I can honestly say it's gotten better and better for a few reasons. Number one, uh, I think we just enjoy each other more. I enjoy her more, at least. I can say that. I, whether or not she enjoys me more, I don't know. But I enjoy her more. Number two, I think we've just stopped trying to change each other as much. We've just gotten used to the fact that she's got some stuff. I got some stuff. God's working it out. God died for us. Jesus died for us. That's why he died, right? And so we've kind of gotten used to a little bit of it, not trying to change each other as much. Um, but then also, also, lastly, and this is kind of the other side of that coin, is that God has used our marriage to show us, and I'll just speak for myself, show me areas where he wants to grow me still. He's revealed stuff in me that I wouldn't have known was in there without being married. Anybody relate to that? He's shown me stuff, like marriage is going to be like a mirror. It's not that she's caused my issues, it's just that they've revealed the issues that I have that where God's like, I, I want to grow you some more in that. I want to lead you into greater freedom. Because it's, it's uncomfortable when you're showing some of the stuff, right? You're like, oh, man, I didn't realize I had that anger in me. I didn't realize I had that whatever in me. And it's painful and it's uncomfortable. But it's always meant to lead us into greater joy. It's always meant to lead us into greater fulfillment. Anytime God reveals sin in our lives, it's meant to lead us into greater peace, joy, and fulfillment in him. Jesus said he 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 he, he died to set us free. He gave, died to give us life and life to the fullest. Uh, and so that's what he wants for us. And so I've realized uh, that um, her issues are not what steal from me. It's my issues that steal from me more than, more than anything else. The greatest threat to my soul is my issues. And God has shown me that and has put a magnifying glass uh, up to those things over these 11 years. And there's one thing in particular um, that is probably at the root of a lot of the trouble I cause in life that marriage has shown me. And, and that is this, being quick to fight. Often the right battles, but at the wrong time and in the wrong way. Can anybody relate to that? Uh, now, sometimes it's not the right battles. But, but so, oftentimes it is. It's the right, they're legitimate issues, but it's the wrong time and it's in the wrong way. And I'm quick to jump in there, quick to, to, try, to, quick to fight, quick to try to address something. And that's what I want to talk about today because I, I, I see this in the Apostle Peter. I see this not only in the gospel accounts of his life, but also a particular moment in his life on the night of Jesus' arrest. And so what we're going to uh, be looking at is Matthew 26, verses 36 to 54. And the title is Responding to Threats. How we respond to threats. 
Are we going to do it like Peter did it, or are we going to do it like Jesus did it? And, and I think a lot of us may, may be able to relate to this. Maybe not everybody. And maybe at the end of this, you're like, you know what? That's not an issue I got. That's fine. You can pray for me. You can, that's maybe your takeaway is simply to pray for Pastor Chris. He's got that. I don't. I will pray for, for him. Um, but I'm sure that's going to be some of you who you, you can relate to this. You can relate to the fact that you see a threat. You see something that's wrong. You see an injustice. You see something that you deem is unfair. Uh, that needs to be confronted. And that's legitimate. Those things are legitimate. Those are legitimate battles. It's, 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 it's in your home. It's with your kids. It's at work. It's with your boss. It's at school. It's with your friends. It's with your in-laws. And you're like, this needs to be addressed. But too often, you have jumped in at the wrong time and in the wrong way. I'll give a few examples. In honor of my anniversary, I'll give a few examples of how this kind of plays out for me. Um, Jess might come to me venting about a situation or, or a person who's, who's, who's acting up. And my initial response is often, if I feel like she needs to consider the other side, the other person's where they're coming from, I'm quick to play devil's advocate and say things like, well, maybe you should consider blank, blank, blank. Or maybe you should think about where they're coming from, blank, blank, blank. And, 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 and that might be legitimate. Maybe at times she needs to consider the other person's side and where they are coming from. But if I am too quick to play devil's advocate, if I am too quick to try to fix her feelings by providing new data, right, she will feel dismissed. And oftentimes her response is, thank you, pastor. <laughs> Yep, 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 yep. Oh. Another situation. Sometimes at night, one of my daughters, I'm not going to mention which one, not the youngest and not the oldest, but uh, <laughs> I won't mention which one, is throwing a temper tantrum and arguing with Jess. And, and, and then I'll, I'll hear her like really disrespect Jess, and that's when I kind of snap. And I'm like, oh, no, she didn't. And nobody disrespects Jess. And so I, I'll step in, and I'll match her loud tone with my own loud tone. Right? And it's a, is it a legitimate issue that needs to be addressed? Absolutely it is. But too often, my motivation is to restore order instead of to try to shepherd her heart and where she's coming from. And sometimes it'll, it'll make things worse for her. Sometimes it'll disrespect Jess because I'm jumping in there when she's in the middle of dealing with it. Another example, another example. I'll get an email from somebody in True Life Church who misunderstands something I said. Not you guys, other people at True Life Church. None of you guys. <laughs> I'll get an email, misunderstood something, or I, I, I feel like th th there's a concern there, but I'm like, where's this coming from? I, they totally misheard that. You know, the filter's off. And so my first instinct too often is, let me fix th where they're coming from. And I'll kind of just, we'll call it lawyer mode. I'll go into, you know, my response is like a ABC, here's the reasons why you're wrong and where you're, you know, how you misunderstood this. And they'll end up feeling dismissed, not heard, um, and I'll miss the opportunity to really understand the concern that is underneath w what they said in their email. I'll miss the opportunity to really understand maybe the, the wound that was triggered by the thing I said, right? Because I'm too quick to try to just fix it. Can anybody relate? This happens in our homes. This happens in our workplaces. It happens at Thanksgiving dinner, right? It sure as heck happens on social media, doesn't it? When you see that friend or family member post something about a political issue that you know is on the wrong side of that issue, and you feel like, man, 
I better fix it. I better save the world from their erroneous views. So you, you pull out the first tool, weapon, so to speak, at your disposal, which is your, your YouTube clip, right? Oh, if they'll watch this, if they'll read this article, they'll be fixed, right? As if anybody has ever responded to your YouTube clip on Facebook by saying, thank you so much for fixing my views. I am so grateful that you helped me see things differently, right? Has anybody had that result ever? No, but we do it. We still do it because we think somehow that's going to save the world. And it usually ends up making things worse. There's usually a long back and forth of comments. The world is watching. And then at the end of it, your friend or family member just deletes the whole thing anyway, right? A waste of time. So we fall into this trap often. And I want to look at the scene where the Apostle Peter fell into this trap. And the stakes were much higher than we usually have to deal with. It's maybe when our gut is right about the situation being wrong, but our gut is wrong about how to deal with it. Amen? So that was the Apostle Peter. Now, th again, this is the Apostle Peter in his life in general. He's, he's, he was just quick. He's just first to get out of the boat. Sometimes it was for good. I'll follow Jesus. And sometimes it was just, he was the first one to just say something. He just had to say something. He had to prove himself. And in this particular situation, uh, it, it, it led to, uh, he was dead wrong. He was dead wrong. So let's look at it. We're going to start at verse 47. And then we're going to kind of cut back in time. It's going to feel like a Quentin Tarantino movie a little bit. All right? Not that you should be watching those, but that's what it will feel like. All right, let's just pray. We need to pray. Being inside has got me thrown off. Lord Jesus, thank you for this uh, day. Thank you for this rainy day. Thank you for this weekend uh, where we just get to gather as your people. Thank you that we have covering. Thank you for Summer's Farm. Thank you for those who are tuning in online. Jesus, I, I, I pray that this is... Uh, not a day where we just walk out of here saying, I'm glad I went to church. That was nice. It was good to see people. But we feel like we heard from the God of the universe. Where we feel like the creator of the universe spoke to us personally. Where we can leave here trusting that you want greater joy and peace and fulfillment and that it's found in you, it's found in trusting you, it's found not in taking matters into our own hands. I pray that we would leave here determined to respond the way you responded when you were in human flesh instead of how Peter did on this particular night. I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so starting in verse 47... While he was still speaking, this is Jesus, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, so this is the, the soldiers who came to arrest him, seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Now, John's account will tell us that that companion of Jesus was Peter. Peter is the one who responded, reacted, 
by grabbing a sword. The soldiers come to arrest Peter, or to arrest Jesus. Peter sees this. He sees it for the threat that it is. Something's wrong. My Lord is being threatened. My Messiah is being threatened. The plan for my Messiah's kingdom to come, or at least Peter's plan for how he thought it should come, was being threatened. And so he thought, somebody has to do something. I'll do it. I'll grab a sword. And he tries to fight. And he ends up cutting off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Now, I don't think for the record that Peter was that skilled of a swordsman where he was intentionally giving a warning shot by slicing off an ear. I think he was going for the kill. I think he was going to just start a battle right there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Even though he was far outnumbered, the, the band of soldiers, usually a band of soldiers referred to um, upwards of 600 to 1,000 soldiers under military tribune, which, which maybe with the whole thing wasn't there that night, but there was a large number that outnumbered the disciples of Jesus. He, he was no way. Basically, Peter's response was both impulsive and futile. You know, somebody had to do something. So he grabs a sword and he ends up slicing off the, the ear of the servant, servant of the high priest. Verse 52, let's keep going. Put your sword back in its place, he, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? So Jesus stopped Peter and possibly the other disciples who were going to follow Jesus, uh, Peter's lead. He said, whoa, put it back. This is not how we're going to fight this battle. This is not how we're going to respond to this threat. Yes, it's wrong. Yes, what's going down is wrong. But this is not how we are to respond. Don't you know that I can call down 12 legions of angels? A legion was about 30,000. I can call down 12 times 30,000 angels. Don't you know who I am, Peter? Don't you remember who I am? I have the power to squash this little band of soldiers. But I'm not going to because the scriptures need to be fulfilled in this way. My father has a plan that is unfolding here. There's something more going on, Peter, than what you see with your physical eyes. So do not respond the way that you are trying to respond. You will actually get in the way of scriptures being fulfilled the way my father wants them fulfilled. You see that? He was rebuking him. He was saying, don't do it this way. Not only is it wrong, but it would be get in the way of what needs to happen. Now, here's my question. Why did Peter not follow Jesus' lead? Why did Peter not know what was going on? Why did they have such different reactions? Why did Jesus, when he had the power to call down legions of angels, end up submitting and going with the band of soldiers? And by the way, before he went with them, Luke's gospel, gospel account tells us that he stopped, he bent down, picked up the ear of the guy who, who had just been sliced by Peter, and he healed the guy, he healed the soldier, and then he went off to his execution. Why did Jesus and Peter have such different responses? What was different about Peter and Jesus in the hours leading up to that moment? I, I, I want to now go back in time and to see two different tracks that they were on, if you will, that led to them responding very, very differently. That led to Peter being dead wrong in how he responded to a threat. So we're going to go back to, we're going to go earlier that night, which was when they first get to the Garden of Gethsemane. They had had their last supper together. They had had the Passover meal. Jesus had said, 
Something's going to go down this night. Trouble's coming. He'd warned them. He prepared them as best he could. He told Peter, you're going to deny knowing me three times. And Peter was like, no, 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 I'm never going to deny knowing you. Even if I have to die with you, I am not going to deny knowing you. Jesus was like, you just watch. Rooster's going to crow. You watch. All this happened. And then Jesus took them to the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's where we're going we're gonna to pick it up in verse 36. So Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed. So they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane um, means, um, uh, it was a word that meant oil press. And it was where they would take the uh, olives and they would put them on stone tablets and squish them. And, and the oil would run off into troughs. And that's how they would collect the oil. Uh, and it was in this place, in this garden, where Jesus, Son of God, in flesh, began to be pressed Right? He was about to go to his execution. And so the weight of all this was bearing down on his soul. And he was being pressed. He was being squeezed. My soul is very sorrowful even to death. And so the way he responded to this pressing was, I need to pray. I need to go and pray to my father. And so going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed. He was with 11. Judas wasn't with him. Judas was off getting the soldiers. So he was with 11 of his boys. He left eight of them here, right, so to speak, and he took Peter, James, and John a little further. And then he said to them, guys, you stay here, keep watch with me. And then he went even further and began to pray with his father. And what did he pray? Going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Throughout the Old Testament, the cup was used to refer to God's wrath for sinners. The wrath of God that would be poured out on sinners that they would have to drink. And so Jesus was talking about how he was about to drink this cup of God's wrath in place of sinners. He was stepping in to drink it so that you and I, when we trust in Jesus, when we come underneath Jesus... Right? If this is Jesus, and this is the cup, and we come under Jesus, the cup doesn't get to us. Because Jesus is drinking it in our place. And so Jesus was saying, if there's any way that I don't have to drink this, if there's any way that we can get around this, if there's any other way for you to save humanity, save these humans, save these people that we love, if there's any other way, but not as I will, you as you will. This was, this was not like a quick prayer. This was, this was him wrestling with this. I would imagine Satan at this time was whispering lies, as Satan did at the beginning of his ministry when he was in the desert. You read scriptures, Satan was tempting Jesus. You don't have to do this. If you're the son of God, prove yourself. Turn this stone into bread. And so I would imagine Satan's whispering similar things now. You shouldn't have to go to the cross. You shouldn't have to pay for their sins. This isn't fair. Why you? Why not God the Father? Uh, you know, th these kinds of things. Things that we get in our head sometimes, right? You ever get that in your head with the situation? You, you shouldn't be taken advantage of. This isn't fair. You shouldn't have to be put up with that. Show you're a man. Show you, know, show you your, your power. Prove yourself. Those kinds of things. I would imagine Jesus was wrestling with a little bit of that. But Jesus says, nevertheless, not as I will, as you will. I'll drink the cup. 
And this cup wasn't just physical pain, although that was excruciating what he was going to go through. It was spiritual separation from his father. They've been one perfect communion with each other for all eternity. And in this upcoming moment, they were going to be separated. And I think that's what was weighing on Jesus more than anything. I don't want that. Nevertheless, as, not as I will, but as you will. Let's keep reading. Verse 40. And he came to the disciples, so Peter, James, and John, and he finds them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray so that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So after telling them earlier that night that something is going to go down, that Peter's going to deny knowing him, right? There's going to be trouble. They fall asleep. His three closest friends fall asleep on him. Does that make any of you feel better about the friends you have? I hope so. So Jesus asks him again, stay up and pray lest you fall into temptation. Because he knew Satan wasn't just tempting him. Satan was going to be tempting his boys. You say temp tempting them how? Tempting them to respond in their own flesh by taking matters into their own hands like Peter would do. Verse 42. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So he was still wrestling. He's still praying. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. So uh, a third time, he goes back and he prays himself with God the Father. Three times, he's wrestling with the Father in prayer, showing us that it's not unspiritual to keep praying about the same thing over and over again. Sometimes we got to keep wrestling through things. It shows us it's not unspiritual to make the same requests. It's not wrong to have to keep going back to God and asking him for the strength to endure the same temptation, the same battle, the same fight with discouragement. God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. Because it's one thing to say your will be done. And it's another thing to receive from him the strength to endure his will. Right? Verse 45, then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, so they're, they're sleeping again. Are you sleeping? Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So instead, and this time he wakes them up and instead of saying, guys, pray, he says, basically, there's no more time to pray. They're here. The threat is upon us. L let's get up. The threat is here and then... What happens? Peter, the one who did not stay up praying, responded by grabbing a sword and trying to fight in his own strength. Jesus, the one who spent the last few hours praying and wrestling, had the strength to say, your will be done, and faced his enemies, faced the threat, even though he had the power to call down legions of angels to slaughter them. He didn't do it. So to summarize, what went wrong? What went wrong for Peter? A few things. Number one, Peter believed his first instinct was trustworthy. Again, he was right that there was a real threat. His alarm bells were going off. He was right. Something was wrong. But he was wrong 
in trusting his instincts. His first instincts was, well, somebody's better do something. I better grab a sword. Let me grab it. Wrong instinct. Sometimes we trust our first instincts too much. My gut's telling me I better do something. Okay, doesn't mean what, what you're about to do is the right thing. Just like sometimes my gut tells me to say, the, say this to somebody, say this to Jess, say this to somebody in our church, say this to a friend. Oftentimes that first argument is not the right argument to use. Often that first slew of words is not the best way to go about it. Number two, Peter thought he had to prove himself. I see this so much in Peter's life. When you look at the Gospels, he was always trying to prove himself, to prove his loyalty. Earlier that night, he said to Jesus, I will never deny knowing you. Even if the rest fall away, he said, I won't. I'm, I'm a more loyal disciple than the rest of these schmucks, is what he was saying. I, I'm more loyal than all of them. He's always trying to prove himself. And so I think what happened that night when he saw the threat, when he saw the deployment of soldiers, even though I think he knew there's no way we're going to win, but I'm going to go down swinging. I'm going to prove that nobody is going to be as tough as me. I'm going to prove I'm a man. I'm going to prove my loyalty to Jesus. I'm going to grab a sword, and I'm going to see what happens. And he made more of a mess that Jesus had to clean up. Literally, right? Number three, Peter tried to rescue Jesus from the very plan that was meant to save Peter from his sins. How ironic is that? Peter was trying to get in the way and say, no, no, Jesus, I'll save you. And stop the very plan that would save Peter from his sins. How crazy is that? He, didn't, he couldn't see what God was up to. He couldn't imagine that the kingdom of God would come in this way. And how often do we assume, well, I, if I was God, wouldn't allow circumstances to go down this way. Therefore, it must be wrong and I better do something. Poor God must be up in heaven going, I hope somebody fixes this because I have no idea what to do. And we're thinking, oh God, don't worry, I know what to do. I'll fix it. I'll address it. I'll say that. I'll persuade that person how wrong they are. I'll jump in there. I'll make that. I'll, I'll comment on social media. Don't worry, God. I know you see what's up here, and you're wondering who's going to do something. I'll do it for you, right? We jump in there, Frank. <laughs> Number four, Peter forgot who the true enemy was. He sees this band of soldiers, and he goes, that's the threat. They need to be stopped. Somebody better stand up to them. And he couldn't see that behind this band of soldiers was a greater band of a spiritual army led by Satan, Jesus' ultimate enemy, the ultimate accuser of, of, of us as humans. Peter couldn't see that. His eyes were focused on the human enemy. Behind the, uh, the evil was a spiritual enemy, and he just couldn't see it. And, and, and we miss it too often, right? Ephesians 6 will tell us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual principalities in the demonic realm. And we miss it. We think, oh, that's a human. They're, they're the threat. That's not the threat. The threat is Satan trying to get us to react to them in our own sin. Right? The greatest threat, I'll say it again, the greatest threat to my soul in my home is not Jess and her stuff or my kids getting into arguments and disobeying and I, you know, I got to fix It's my temptation to react in my own sin. That's the greatest threat to my soul. We think it's other people. 
Oh, they're a threat to me. They're a threat to my well-being. They're a threat to my spiritual well-being. No, it's us reacting to them. That's the greatest threat. And then lastly, Peter wasn't prepared for the threat because Peter didn't pray. He didn't stay up praying like Jesus did. Jesus is God in flesh, fully God, but because he was fully human, he needed prayer. He needed communion with his Father. He needed the Holy Spirit supporting and filling and coming alongside him. And Peter didn't think he needed it. When the moment comes, I'll just figure it out and grab a sword. He wasn't prepared because he didn't pray. Jesus said, watch and pray. They go together. He wasn't saying, watch with your physical eyes, and also, if you feel like it, pray. He was saying, watch by praying. Be watchful by praying. Prayer is how we see what's really going on. Prayer is how we see the real threat behind the superficial threat. Prayer is how we see what God is really up to beyond circumstances that are confusing to us. But Peter didn't do that. And because I am so much like Peter too often, I want to just end by giving you two things that I've been praying for myself lately. Um, and this is largely, I'm going to, to the, the group, the father's group, the group for dads who are, you know, still have kids in the home raising them. Uh, these are two kind of takeaways that I've been praying for myself. So again, even if you're like, I can't relate to this struggle, Fine. This is what you can be praying for, for for your pastor, okay? Number one, prayers I pray for myself lately, help me to be watchful. Help me to be watchful. Help me to see. In the morning, as I'm reading scripture and I'm done, before I come downstairs, I pray, God, help me to be watchful. Help me to see. Help me to see Threats for what they really are. Satan's trying to set traps all over the place for me, right? We're in a, we're in a battle. We're in a war. We're in a spiritual battle. So he's trying to set traps in our home. You know, maybe a disagreement with Jess. He wants me to react in a bossy tone or a harsh tone or something with the kids. He wants me to snap. Maybe something uh, uh, with church. Maybe a neighbor, friendship, family member. He, he's setting traps all over the place. God, help me to be watchful. Help me to see things for what they are. Protect me from my own assumptions about things. Help me to see. Help me to see what you're up to as well. Help me to see where you're at work. Because here's the thing. Not only was that human band of soldiers pawns in the hands of Satan and his spiritual army. Here's the real kicker. Satan was a pawn in the hands of God. Scriptures had to be fulfilled. Jesus is the lamb slain since the beginning of time. Satan think he thought he was up to something, getting him. But really, Jesus was going to the cross because he was going to the cross on purpose. Pay for you and I. But God was up to something that night. And God is still up to something all the time. He's always at work. Jesus said the Father's always working. And he invites us to be in on that. He invites us to be in. He's always working. He's always using everything to grow us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. He's always uh, using circumstances to rescue our souls and to use us to rescue other people. If only we would see it for what it is. Too often we miss it. And I think we miss it. I miss it because I'm not praying to be watchful. So small things, big things. It's often the small things that you, you miss, isn't it? 
big things, big crisis, you can, maybe sometimes you can, it's almost easier to stop and go, whoa, whoa, God, what's going on here? I'm going to pray about this. But it's the small moments. It's your kids fighting at dinner, right? And you're just like, well, let me just restore a peaceful harmony to our dinner time instead of going, okay, this is a teaching moment here. God, help me to see what's going on here with my kids. Let me see what's up. A disagreement between me and Jess, right? My temptation might be, oh, this is inconvenient that we can't come to a resolve. It's an opportunity as well. And it's an invitation to go to God together in prayer and go, God, we don't know what to do here. She's, she's coming from this angle. I'm coming from this angle. We don't know what to do. Help us, lead us. Help us to manage this tension of she's valuing this, I'm valuing that. We don't know the balance here. Help us. It's an invitation to humble ourselves. Everything God is at work in, but I miss opportunities if I'm not praying. I'm too quick to draw my sword if I'm not praying to be watchful. And then the second one, lastly, make me gentle and slow. This is a prayer. This is kind of a spiritual goal for myself. I want to be gentle and slow. I'm too quick, too quick, too often. God, slow me down. Slow me down because I'm too much like Peter too often. So help me to be gentle and slow. Now, that doesn't mean go passive. That doesn't mean to uh, just try to escape and check out and go, you know what, I'm not even going to think about that. No, 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 that's not, that's not it. That's not the answer. The opposite of fight is not flight, right? They're both reactionary. They're both reactionary. The answer that night in the garden wasn't to run. Jesus didn't run. Jesus didn't say, put the sword away, Peter. We're just going to book it, right? He didn't do that. <laughs> that wasn't it. Jesus faced the enemies. He walked into the, into the midst of them. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't run. And too often, that, that's what Peter did. Heck, that's what Peter did later that night. First he grabs a sword. Then later that night, somebody says, hey, don't you, don't you know that, that man, Jesus? No, 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 no. I don't know him. Three times he denies knowing him. He escapes. He runs, in other words. Tried to fight. That didn't work. Then he tries to flight. And that's what we do. We try to grab our sword. We try to do the argument. And then when it doesn't work, I give up. I'm done. I give up. Or we do the reverse. We run, 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 run until somebody backs us into a corner. And then we flip out on them. But Jesus didn't either. He was graceful. He, I mean, just that night in the garden to think. He was going off to his execution. And he stopped, picked up the guy's ear, and healed it. He's like, wait, wait, before you all take me away... Let me heal this guy of his sliced off ear. Graceful, gentle, slow, meek, the Bible calls it. Meek. The meek shall inherit the earth, he said in the Sermon on the Mount. Meekness is not weakness. We too often think of meekness as weakness. It's not. Meekness is strength under restraint. It's Superman disguised as Clark Kent at the bar with the belligerent drunk, and you're watching it and going, Superman, crush him, and he doesn't. Because he doesn't want to reveal his identity as Superman, right? It's the stallion trained so that when the gate flies open, it doesn't run away. It's trained to stay there. It's got the strength to run, get away, but it stays. Strength under restraint. It's Jesus on the cross who could have called down legions of angels, who could have said, you know what, enough is enough. When everybody was mocking him, oh, you saved others, you can save yourself. Yeah, I can. Pop, pop, coming down. He could have did that, but he didn't. 
That's one of the most miraculous things in my mind. Not, not, not just that he was willing to go through that suffering, but the fact that he could have stopped it at any moment and didn't. The restraint that he showed for you and I so that he could pay for you and I to redeem us, to save us, to rescue us. That's meekness. Strength under restraint. And he had the power to do that because he had the power of the Spirit working in him. Same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. He's there. He was leaning on it. And the Bible says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and I when we trust in Jesus. To give us that same self-control, that same fruit of the spirit, patience, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, love, self-control. It's a fruit of the spirit. So that means it's not something that we produce on our own. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. We don't produce it. It's not something that we will up. It's the, it's the Spirit working in us, but we do get to partner with the Holy Spirit, and we do it through prayer. We do it through prayer by inviting Him in. Fill me, Lord, with your Spirit today so that I can be gentle in my case and slow, meek, when threats come upon me, when I see an injustice, when I see a wrongdoing, when somebody needs to be confronted, help me to be gentle and slow in how I respond. Keep me from grabbing my sword too quickly and thinking that my first instinct is so trustworthy. Protect me from that. Help me to slow down. Help me to stop and pray. Because there's going to be a million booby traps throughout any given day, right? You're driving in traffic. Somebody cuts you off. What's your first response? Probably not the most trustworthy one, right? Make me gentle and slow. Gentle and slow. That's, that's my prayer. And I still screw up. Still screw up. Last week, last Friday, in fact, I had to apologize to my family because the previous 24 hours I had been a little too snappy, a little too reactionary, bossy. And when I go into that mode, when I go into fix-it mode, Sometimes my family feels like projects to be managed instead of people to be loved. And I had to kind of Friday morning apologize to them and say, listen, girls, sorry I wasn't gentle and slow and I've been praying to be and I wasn't. And can you help me? Can you, rem- can you point it out when I'm not? Jenna said, whatever, Dad. <laughs> but I hope they help me. And they could use that against me. They could certainly use that against me at some time. But you know what? It's worth the risk if I really believe that the greatest threat to my soul is my sin. Even if it's responding to someone else's sin, it's still my sin that is the greatest threat to my soul. And if I could remember that, then you know what? It's worth any risk. It's worth being taken advantage of. It's worth somebody using that against me. So, to summarize... Don't react to threats by grabbing for a sword. Prepare, prepare, prepare for threats by praying. Pray to be watchful. Pray to be gentle and slow. That's the example our Savior set. It's not just an example to follow because our Savior set that example, but it's also something we can follow because our Savior, through his death and resurrection, provides us with his Spirit so that we have the power to follow his example. So, can I just ask, I know some of you are watching online, and you can put it in the comment section. 
and others can pray for you. But if you're here today and you'd say, yeah, uh, this, this one's for me, would you just raise your hand and I'll pray for you? Okay. Okay. Well, why don't you stand up? Just, just stand up as, as a form of confession. <laughs> Band, you guys can come on up here. We're going we're gonna to worship in a moment. We're going to celebrate Jesus and who he is. But uh, let's close our eyes. Let's just close our eyes as a posture of receiving. Jesus, these men and women who are standing here recognizing that, yes, yeah, sometimes I can be a little too impulsive in how I respond to something that I feel like is wrong. And it might be legitimately wrong. It might be legitimately uh, needing confrontation and needing to be addressed. But Jesus, we want to address, we want to follow your lead. We want to follow your lead. So help these men and women to be watchful when things pop up, when, when the alarm bells in their gut goes off. Help them to stop to say, Lord, what's going on? What's the real threat here? What am I tempted to do that would be wrong? Protect me from that. God, how are you at work here? Where might you be working in a way that I can't fathom? God, help me to respond in meekness, gentleness, gracefulness. Even if that means I need to confront, help me to do it in a way that you would do it. God, I pray that these men and women, even this week, that they would be able to stop and picture you responding to that. And they would go, okay, that's how I'm going to do it. I pray for a picture of themselves operating in greater meekness than they currently do. That they can actually picture themselves doing that because Again, by the power of your spirit, it's possible. And God, I pray for confidence in your forgiveness when they fail. Like I did last week with my family. Like I did last week with a, a brother in the church even. God, I pray for confidence that your forgiveness is always there. And that we would get back up and go, okay, Lord, let's try this again. It's in your name I pray. And it's in your name that this is possible because of what you've done for us, your death, your resurrection. The meekness that you showed made it possible. Amen. All right, why don't we all stand and let's finish.